Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We are having children's church this morning. You can line up on the back wall there. going to be a great time. Amen. You always love it when the children's church is learning about obedience. <laughs> That helps us as parents and uh, helps us all. Uh, so with, uh, with two full empty rows on the front here, uh, would really help if, uh, if we could all kind of move forward a couple of seats. Would really uh, be a blessing if we could all squeeze in together this morning. Uh, we're going to open up our Bibles today to the book of Psalms, book of Psalms. And we want to look together in the 80th Psalm. Would you join me there this morning? Psalm 80. So we had uh, a certain kind of providential uh, accident that took place when we were in our revival recently with evangelist Tony Chase. Uh, How many had a a great time during that revival? Pastor Chase always brings a powerful word uh, to our hearts, and uh, we can see the lasting effect of his ministry right there in the last row. (laughs) Brother Joe has not stopped wearing a tie ever since. Uh, that revival, what a blessing. But um, without even knowing this, uh, we put together a little flyer to, that we used to start inviting people uh, to that uh, revival a couple of weeks back. And so on that uh, a revival flyer that we made uh, that Amanda so generously d- designed, uh, and by the way, let me just put in a plug, if anybody needs uh, uh, design work, she's a fantastic uh, designer, so uh, any flyers or posters or anything, I'll just give her a little free commercial from the pulpit. Um, but uh, so she designs our church flyers and everything. And on that church flyer, we had a picture of an old classic car on one half that was all worn down and broken down. And uh, on the other half, it showed a restored version of the same vehicle. And the message of the flyer, which was the message of our revival, is that God is able to restore things. So uh, without even knowing this, check this out. So Pastor Chase, he begins to talk to me. He shows me the flyer, and he says, did you know that I do this as a hobby? I said, what? And he says, yeah, for the past couple of years, I've been buying these old junker cars from the 1940s and 50s and 60s, stripping them all the way down to the frame, and begin to restore these classic cars one piece at a time. And he says, in between my revival meetings, I'll go back home. I'll plan out my days. He says, I have a, a day here, two days there, three days here over a weekend. And I'll go to the store, get the parts. I'll get the paint. I'll get the oil. I'll get all the pieces that I need. And over the course of several years, he has fully restored some, some old vehicles. He's shown me pictures on his phone 
were scrolling through. He, he restored an old, uh, one of these old Jimmy Jeeps from, uh, you know, World War II era. He's restored a couple of Volkswagen Bugs. And uh, just amazing to see, uh, he, he's working on some pickup trucks from the 50s and 60s. And, uh, and so as I was looking at that, one of the things that he told me about this work that he does is that it is, he never thought it would be so satisfying. It's more than just, for him, a hobby that he does on his days off. He's, he began to explain to me that there's something about it that causes him to feel fulfilled, not just in, his, in, uh, in working a hobby, but uh, even for his spiritual. He says, it helps me to, to be a better minister when I go and preach in churches. And you know what? I believe that. And let me tell you why. Because the work of restoration is a work of God. In many ways this morning, a restored classic is better than one that comes right off the the car lot brand new. We serve a God who is in the work of restoration. And that work of evangelist Tony Chase as he goes home and works on these vehicles in his garage is a reflection of what God can do in our lives. And what God is doing each and every service as we gather in His presence. And like Evangelist Chase, you can't just buy an old junker out of the, out of the junk lot and have everything refreshed and restored on one weekend, right? It takes time. It's not like these shows on, uh, on uh, whatever these car channels are. It doesn't take only 16 hours. If you do it right, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes investment. And if you can catch this idea this morning that you are one of these old vehicles that got messed up in the past, got rotted out by sin, that got rusted out by the ways of this world, but God begins to restore us. At salvation, He begins to strip us down. He begins to take us apart, piece by piece. Like Isaiah said, Woe to me, for I am undone, taking the pieces apart so that they can be sanded and ground down to the metal and prepared for a painting. And then God is able to begin to put us back together so that we can be better than the previous versions of ourselves. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9 says an incredible verse. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen, this morning, we look at the Garden of Eden. You open the first pages of the Bible and you think to yourself, what an amazing experience that would have been for Adam and Eve in the beginning with God. That was the first version when it came off the car lot. How many know it didn't take long, only a few pages, till the effects of sin begin to rot and to rust and to wear out and the tires break out and the car gets broken down very quickly. But the rest of redemption's story, the rest of the Word of God, the rest of the story of the Hebrews in Israel, The rest of the story as it goes into the New Testament and Jesus Christ came to the earth and died on the cross and all of it is meant 
to bring us to the glory of the restoration. And that's what God is doing in our lives today. That's what it describes in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In the Scripture we're about to read this morning, Psalm 80, we are going to find a prayer for restoration. And no matter who you are this morning, I think we can all pray this prayer and find hope and peace and grace and a future of restoration with God. Let's read together Psalm 80, beginning in verse 1, a prayer that we all can pray. And it says this, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength, come and save us. Here it is, verse 3, restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. So that's the name of my sermon this morning, restore us, O God. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come. By the blood of Jesus, we're asking, Lord, for your presence and your purpose at work in this service today. I'm praying that your people would feel the need for restoration, God, that we would participate with you in this great work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, that you would help us not to be stubborn and resisting the Holy Spirit, but God, that you would help us to recognize the work of restoration that you are doing in our hearts. And God, to realize that we are never truly finished in this life, but you continue to restore old things, to root out those areas of rot and rust in our soul, God, to to restore them and bring them back into your glory and purpose. I'm praying this morning that you would give us your grace and your mercy. Let me speak with your liberty. We thank you. All you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. amen. Let me first share with you the need for restoration. And if you will be honest for a few moments this morning, you will recognize in yourself the need for restoration. Now, whether you've been saved for five minutes or five months or five years or five millennia, you will recognize this morning, I hope that you can still recognize in yourself that there are still areas that the rust of your previous life still exists. That the rust and the rot of the infection of this world and sin in our lives continues to be exposed in our hearts. Now, what is true of a car is also true of us. Now, we have a very nice collection of vehicles right outside these windows. But I want to ask you a question. What if today was the last day that you touched these cars? What would happen if we just let them to sit? It wasn't so long ago that we had a car sitting there for months and months and went on for a year and a few months and a few more years. And you know what happened to that car? Nobody touched it. Nobody drove it. It began to break down, didn't it? 
It is the second law of thermodynamics. It is the law of entropy that all things in this life are tending toward chaos. And the same is true of your car, no matter how bright and brilliant and beautiful it might be today, if you, all you got to do is let it sit. And it's in the elements, and the rain, and the snow, and the sun, and the heat, and the birds. And let me tell you something, it's going to wear down. It may not wear out in a year, or two, or three, but you leave it there for 10 years, see what happens. Or 20 years. Or you leave it there for 30 years, or 40 years, and I want to tell you, what will be left is only a shell. You don't have to take a jackhammer. You don't have to use sandpaper. You don't need a jigsaw. You don't need a hammer. All you need is to let it sit. And it will break down over time. Am I right? The same this morning, beloved, is true of your soul. The process of this life has a certain spiritual gravity that as you live this life, As you go through each day, there is a certain gravity that is pulling us back down to the sinful nature that we were all born with. Am I right? In addition to that, there are also things that happen to us in this life. Some of it is of our own doing. We make bad decisions, don't we? Oh, am I the only one that's made a few bad decisions? No, you make some bad decisions, don't you? You speak some words that have a negative effect on yourself and on, other, on others. You, you do things to yourself. Sometimes our own worst enemy is the person that looks at you in the mirror. We do things to harm ourselves, to break ourselves down, to flatten a tire, to break a windshield. We make some bad decisions, don't we? In addition to that, we also have things that happen to us that are not of our own doing, not our own fault, that sometimes life can hit us. Sometimes you're just driving down the road of life, man, and a T-bone car comes out of nowhere, smashes into you, and causes incredible damage. Life happens to us all. Because of that this morning, there is constantly a need for restoration. There is constantly a need for upkeep. There is constantly a need. If, you're gonna, if your car is going to last more than one or two years, you're going to have to change the oil. You're going to fill the tires with air. You're going to have to go get it registered. Go get it inspected. Listen, you have to upkeep your car. If it's true of your car, it's true about your soul this morning. It's true about your relationship. With God requires upkeep, requires attention, It requires, and especially when damage occurs, it requires restoration. It requires some work, some labor. There is a spiritual gravity that is constantly pulling us back to the sinful nature that we all have separated from God. David recognized this in himself as he wrote this psalm. He recognized that, hey, he might have been described as the man after God's own heart, right? He might have had some incredible victories. You think about how he killed the lion and the bear as just a young shepherd watching over his sheep. He said, yeah, I I killed the lion, I killed the bear, 
I protected my sheep. Later on, he used those, that encouragement to face down Goliath in the valley as the whole army of Israel was fearful and shaking and he ran, ran out to meet Goliath. What an incredible victory. What an incredible uh, a testimony that he had of God and, and his relationship with God. And He was a songwriter and he was a worshiper and he went on to become a king. Great man. Incredible promises. And yet, at the same time, David recognized that he was still a man full of flaws. You read about what he did with Bathsheba. You read about how he killed her husband to cover up the wicked deed that he did. You read about how later on that he never had another Uriah. He never had another warrior soldier that was so dead. And so we read that, yes, David had incredible victories, but in his soul there were things that still needed restoration. Can we recognize that in ourselves this morning? Can we recognize that, yes, maybe God has finished the fenders, but there's still an alternator that's not working right? Can we recognize that there's still a timing belt that's, that's off? I need to pay some attention to this. Can we recognize that, yes, I might have learned a few scriptures in my life. Yes, I might have heard a few sermons. But I still need to work on this prayer life of mine. That it's not finely tuned yet. There's still areas that you need to be restored. David wrote this psalm with that recognition in mind. He understood. He started by saying, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You know, one thing that's true about sheep, uh, whether they are individual or whether they are together in a flock, can I tell you something about sheep? They are prone to wonder. They will not long stay found. If you leave sheep to themselves, they will get in trouble. It won't take long. That's why sheep desperately need a shepherd. When he described himself and the people of God as a flock of sheep, that was not meant as a compliment. It was meant to reflect this truth that we are prone to wandering. Just be honest about your own salvation for the last week or the last month. Weren't you prone to wander? Wasn't your mind like a sheep prone to wander? Weren't your earthly affections prone to wander from the Lord? That's why the story of the prodigal son so reflects upon our own hearts. The one who took his inheritance and ran off to the far country. The story of Jonah reflects so powerfully on our own lives, doesn't it? God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah, and preach my word. I don't want to do that. And he went the opposite direction, down to Tarshish. Isn't it true of us this morning? Isn't it true? As we just live this life, as we just go through the motions, there is a proneness. There is a gravity. There is a force at work constantly that is breaking down our relationship with God. That's why we, like sheep, we need a shepherd. There is the lie this morning of self-sufficiency. Everybody say self-sufficiency. 
Do you know what that means? It means I can do it myself. I don't need God. And we may not say it outright like that, I don't need God. But the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that you go for 24 or 48 hours or 36 hours at a time without a prayer, without reading one scripture, without speaking to one other Christian about the things of the Lord, that's called self-sufficiency. And it's a lie. It's a lie that we tell ourselves, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. As believers, we are constantly being pulled back to a works-based salvation. What do I mean by that? If we're not careful, our religion can become so dependent on the things that I have done. Well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I'm so glad that you have a testimony. But you still need Jesus just as much today as you did on the first day. Don't you? You think that just by showing up and putting your rear end in a church chair that you've done something great for the Lord. When the greatest thing we could do is simply every day to obey Him in the small things. Those who love me obey my commandments, Jesus said. And the works-based salvation says I'm saved and I'm going to heaven because of the things that I've done. And we are constantly pushing and, uh, and being pushed in that direction. But I tell you, that's not salvation. That's religion. And religion alone causes greater harm than good. What we must have is a, a gospel-correct view of salvation which says, I'm not saved by what I've done. I'm saved by what He has done. A grace or faith-based salvation. We tend to be prone to distractions. Our minds wander. Our hearts wander. And one of the greatest problems we have is just plain old forgetfulness. Fallen humanity is forgetful. You know something that's interesting when you think about the Garden of Eden? And Adam's role there in the Garden, and Eve as well, is that they had perfect brains. You know, the, the, the scientists tell us that on an average uh, day that you are only using about 10% of the capacity of your brain, right? Could it be that in the Garden before sin, before the fall, that Adam and Eve had access to use the other 90% that we don't even access today? Is it possible that Adam could name every species of animal on the, on the earth? Because he was thinking a lot more clearly than we can today. These guys were smart, man. God made them with perfect memory, the ability to recall. But in sin, I want to tell you, one of the marks of sin in your life is this. Forgetfulness. Not just forgetting your keys or where you put the milk. No, it's not just the silly things that we forget, but we forget the important things. We forget what God has done in our lives. We forget the miracles that He did for us. You heard that old advice, never forget where you came from. This is one of the great sins of the church is that we have forgotten who we are in Christ. 
God predicted that His people would forget about Him. When He brought them into the promised land and He warned them, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink from the wells that you didn't dig. You're going to experience victories that you didn't win on your own. Be careful, He said, that you don't forget who gave you that victory and who gave you those houses and who dug those wells for you. It was me. It was the God who gave you that victory. And they said, oh no, God, we won't forget. And then they did. Generations passed, and they began to forget. Not only that, but there is an enemy that is arrayed against us this morning. Can you still say amen? There is an enemy. And the reason why the enemy is so good at his job is because he doesn't have to do much. He just has to push a few little buttons at the right moment because gravity is on his side. He is able, the enemy of our souls, he is able, if we're not careful, to use spiritual gravity against us. If this life is like skiing, how many ever been skiing? I like... I enjoy skiing. It's been a long time since I went skiing. But one of the cool things about skiing is you don't have to do much, right? I mean, you have to stay on your feet. (laughs) But you're basically going down a hill. The gravity does all the work for you. But you know who the devil is? The devil is just a little bump, just a little bump on the slope, just a little nudge, and he can cause us to be destroyed. Matthew 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. The devil doesn't have to do much because our natural tendency is to stray from God, is to react to the, the spiritual gravity. The, the cars of our lives are automatically being broken down. All he has to do is tap the right spots. And break a few things. And nudge a few times. Narrow is the gate. Difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Let me ask you this morning. Do you feel spiritual gravity pulling you down away from the presence and the power of God? And the answer is, of course you do. Of course you do. Now let me give you some good news this morning. We serve a God of restoration. Are you still with me today? We serve a God who works with cars from the junkyard. We serve a God who has all of the capacity, all of the capability, who has all the materials that are needed, who has all the time in the universe. If we will simply work with Him. Verse 3 of our Scripture says the word restore. Everybody say restore. In the Hebrew, the word is shuv. It means to return to a previous condition. To bring back. To allow to return. To put back in place. To give back what was lost. To relinquish. To restore a debt that has been lost. God loves to restore us. 
just like Pastor Tony Chase was explaining to me. There's something about this work that gives me great satisfaction. Taking something old and dingy and broken down and bringing new life into it. Psalm 138, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. Psalm 70, verse 20. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again. When we speak about revival, this is the work we're talking about. It's the work of restoration. I want to just say that you know, we think of revival and we, th- we pray for revival and we think that revival is like the great Welsh revival you know, of, uh, of previous generations or we think revival, the Azusa Street revival back in the 1920s, Los Angeles. Or we think of uh, the Jesus People movement in the 1970s. That was revival. And yes, truly, those are great moves of God that happened in our past. But sometimes revival is something that happens slowly. Something that happens through the course of a period of time. Sometimes a revival is when you have to take the engine out of the old car and break it apart. And for a few weeks, cleaning each and every nook and cranny. And you know, that's not easy work. That's not fun work. But when you put the caps back on and the engine goes back in the car and for the first time they turn the key and it and all of a sudden it can do something that it wasn't doing before. And you notice, man, God's doing something in my life. Man, something's changed about my attitude. God, was that you? He's been working. He's been moving, he's been restoring, he's been cleaning, he's been purging, he's been changing things. David prayed after his great sin with Bathsheba, he prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Here's the word, restore, chuv, to me. The joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Our scripture says in verse 2, to stir up strength. Verse 2, before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength. You know God does this sometimes in our lives stirs up his strength. He stirs up his forgiveness and mercy over us. He stirs up his righteousness. I wonder, can God stir up his strength over your life this morning? He wants to do a work of restoration. He loves to restore. Let me remind you of one of God's great titles. It is Jehovah Rapha. It is the Lord who heals us. He got that name in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Listen carefully to what he said. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. 
just in the same way, an old junker car needs healing, man. Needs a good mechanic. So also, we are in great need of a Jehovah Rapha to shape and to mold and to heal the areas that are rusted out and broken down in our souls. This is the God that we serve. This is His name. I am the Lord who heals you. Job 5, verse 18, For He makes sore, but He binds up. He wounds and His hands make whole. This reminds me of that incredible process of someone restoring a car. Yeah, you know, if you're really going to do it right, you've got to break it all the way down. You've got to take it all the way apart till all the pieces are spread out over the whole garage. And each piece, each nut, and each bolt must be scrubbed, must be cleaned, must be oiled. Sometimes God has to break us down. Right? That's not always fun. Expose those areas. It's ugly down there. That's what discipleship is. Pastor Campbell says you don't know what's in a man until you say no to him. We have to correct him. And all of a sudden, something is exposed. You take that panel off of the bottom of the car and it's like, oh, there's a dead rat in there. No wonder this thing stinks so bad. You pull out the carcass. We opened up the hood and noticed that a cat and some kittens were in there for seven years. You didn't know it. I opened some things up. The Lord wounds, but His hands make whole. Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Jesus said when He multiplied the bread and the fish for those 5,000, it said that something interesting. He said that he took the bread, he blessed the bread, and then what did he do? He broke the bread. And then when he gave those broken pieces to his disciples, some kind of miracle happened in their hands as they were passing it out that it began to multiply, it began to grow. It began to be a blessing to everyone around. Can I tell you that bread is a picture of you and me? That God receives us. He blesses us. He breaks us. And then he uses us as a blessing and multiplies our lives. If we will be that bread. If we will give ourselves to him. It's interesting, Jesus, in, in the New Testament, when the Greek language begins to describe what Jesus did, it says in Matthew 14, verse 36, they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many touched it, they were made perfectly well. Everybody say those two words, perfectly well. They were made perfectly well. That sounds pretty good. In the Greek language, We know that the word salvation is the word sozo. But that word is just a slight variation. It's the word diasozo. Add a little prefix at the beginning, diasozo. And that's why the translation says not just whole, but it says perfectly well. The word diasozo is an amazing word. It means salvation, not just for the moment, but salvation that will bring you 
to the end. It's a salvation that is in motion. It's not salvation for the moment. It's a salvation that will see you through perfectly well. Diasozo. It does not mean that all your problems will go away. It means that God will bring you through and make you victorious in the end. Diasozo. Can I tell you, this is the work of restoration that God is doing in your life. Now let's close and think about the purpose. Why is God doing this work? Now it's nice if you are into restoring vehicles. It's a nice experience for the car at the end, right? At the end of the day, that vehicle is having a much better experience. Rather than sitting in the junkyard and rotting away, Someone has rescued it, brought it to his own garage, and it has experienced the newness, a restoration. And it has a newfound purpose in life, right? It is great for that, for that vehicle. But can I tell you, the purpose was not only for the vehicle. The restoration, beloved, is for the one who restores it. The restoration is a reflection of the one who is restoring. That's what it says in our scripture, verse 3. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. The reason that God wants to restore you is not only for you. It is so that God's reflection can be shined wherever you go. That's why God is restoring you. It's not because of how great you are or how much talent you bring to the kingdom or how pretty your face is. The reason God wants to restore you is because in this life it brings greater glory to His kingdom. Can you say amen? When God restores your marriage, the reason He does that is because it brings greater glory to His kingdom. When God restores broken relationships with your friends, family, loved ones, children, parents, the reason is not only for you to experience a restored relationship, but so that relationship can reflect His glory. His face will shine. We are called the potter's house this morning, and there's a reason why. The reason why our church has the name comes from directly from Scripture in Jer- Jeremiah chapter 18. Listen carefully. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel, and the vessel that he made of clay. Listen, the, the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. That jar got all jacked up right there in the potter's hand. So he, listen, he made it again. Are you hearing the heart of God this morning? He made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, In other words, church, people of God, can I not do with you 
as this potter has done, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Don't tell me that you never got messed up right in the hand of the potter. Don't tell me that, yes, you think that just because God's working on you that you're finished. Oh, no, no, no. Sometimes life happens, man. You make a bad decision or you take one step out of God's will for your life and guess what happens? And the potter has to add some more water. Has to make that thing moldable again. Has to bring that lump and squish it back together again. Oh, we got to start over. Get that thing spinning again. And you're wondering, what's going, what's going on with my life? You're disoriented. Everything is upside down. Things are inside out. What's going on, God? He said, I'm working this out. I'm shaping you. I'm molding you. I'm getting rid of those little chunks that shouldn't be there in the first place. I'm hammering out the hood to remove those dents and flaws. I'm heating things up so that I can work it out. There is a great need for restoration. And when that restoration happens, listen, beloved, the glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. Do you know what that means for you? It means your best days are still yet to come. If you say yes, and we all have wonderful stories of what God has done in our lives, and aren't we glad for times that we can look back on and gain strength to live today. That's wonderful. But God's not finished yet. Your best days are still ahead. This is one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith is that we have something to look forward to that is better than we could ever imagine and ever think about. Your best days are still ahead of you because God is a God of restoration. Acts 3, verse 19, as we close. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that, listen, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Some of you need some refreshment this morning. When I say refreshment, I don't just mean little snacks and drinks. Your soul needs refreshment. Maybe your relationship with God has gotten stale. Maybe your salvation has grown wearisome and burdensome to you. Maybe coming to church is difficult. Serving the Lord is a bummer. Can I tell you, there are times of refreshing. Sometimes all it takes is God to pop out that radiator and put in a new one. I never felt like this before. I put in a new radiator in my car about a year ago. It was amazing. I didn't know I could do it. <laughs> but I watched YouTube and I figured it out. And I put a, put a radiator. All of a sudden, the car, man, oh, it felt better. It was something was flowing better. Things were happening. That coolant was, was working well. And it was just one little piece. Took it out, put it in. Oh, times of refreshing. Oh, God can do that for you right here at this altar. God can take out that old nasty attitude out of your soul. The one that's circulating a bunch of junk through your soul. 
swap it out. Isn't this what God wants to do? He wants to take out that old heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh, as it says in Jeremiah. Restore us, O God. The point of all of this, the reason that we are different from cars and the reason that we are different from sheep is that we are God's children. A car has no decision to make about its own restoration, but we do. We, as God's children, are either participating or we are resisting. And I ask, what about you this morning? Maybe you've had that old nasty radiator for far too long. Maybe that, that dead squirrel in the front bumper. And every time the mechanic gets close, it'll back off. And so here it comes to our own decision this morning. Are you participating with or resisting the great mechanic of the universe? He wants to restore us. His heart is to refresh us. But you can resist the Holy Spirit. You can quench what the Spirit is trying to do. My call this morning, my prayer, is that every person here would experience the times of refreshing that God has for your life, for your family. You say, like David prayed in this prayer, Oh God, restore me. Restore us, oh God, and cause your face to shine. We shall be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we let the Spirit of God move upon our souls. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of healing. He is Jehovah Rapha. And He is here this morning to do a work of grace, healing, and restoration in your soul. Maybe you're here today and you're not right with God. Maybe you're here this morning and the honest truth is that you need this restoration process to begin in your life. The honest truth is that you're still living in that junkyard of the soul, still bound by the sin that so easily ensnares us, still owned by the enemy of our souls. I want to tell you, that our God can purchase the title deed of your life by the precious blood of Jesus. That He has paid the price already for your life and for mine on the cross. He has come to give us life and life more abundantly this morning. But we as, we as His people, we have to surrender. We have to make a decision this morning. It's an invitation. And we must respond. You, this morning, maybe you need to respond today. Lord, I know that I'm not right with you. Lord, I know that I'm living in the junkyard. That my soul is rotting away because of all my sin and my rebellion. But Lord, I recognize my need and I want to surrender to you this morning. I wonder if that's you today. I would love to pray with you. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up 
at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh